you don't want to let go of that mortgage. I mean, and you can't blame people for that. It's 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 an amazing thing that's happened, and it's just perpetuated this this massive supply demand imbalance that we've been dealing with for like you like you mentioned over a decade or since the global financial crisis. So, but home builders are are filling the vacuum. So while there's no activity happening on the existing home sale side, they are coming in and and building new homes. And here's a situation where it is possible to sell homes. I'm Deidre Willard, and that's Matt Argersinger, Motley Fool analyst and my fellow housing nerd. There are two things we know about the current housing market. Mortgage rates are high and inventory is low. That's bad news if you're looking to buy, but there are opportunities if you are an investor. Matt and I talked about whether or not we're going to become a nation of renters, how home builders are making hay while the sun shines, and where to invest in the future of housing. Every month I look at the National Association of Realtor Existing Home Data and I worry because it's a down year for sales. It's down uh, 17% in July, but the number I watch is inventory, which they measure by month supply. So normal month supply, equal buyers and sellers, six month supply. We haven't had a normal market, I think since the great financial crisis. So we're at 3.3 months based on the July numbers. What does this mean for the market though? Well. First of all, Deidre, thanks so much for having me. It's always a pleasure to get together with you and talk real estate. So I think the really low inventory means it's just highly unlikely we're going to get any kind of meaningful drop in home prices. And I think that's unfortunately what a lot of people, including a lot of would-be home buyers, have been waiting for. But it's just hard to see that happening when there's such limited inventory. And as you mentioned, we've been dealing with this situation, you know, yeah, for for well over a decade now. And What's remarkable too to me is that we're in a situation now where 30-year mortgage rates uh, are above 7%. And you have to go back to the late 90s uh, for mortgage rates to be at this level. If you had told someone five years ago that you know mortgage rates were going to rise more than four percentage points, we'd go through this, uh, you know, this pandemic, this downturn. I mean, everyone I think in the world would have said, well, home prices are probably going to fall. But they haven't. They've held up, and it's because of this this low inventory situation. And it's just become really, really hard if you're a first time home buyer. Bill McBride, I think, who you know, he writes the uh, Calculated Risk blog, posts great data on the housing market, um, and he he's written about the effect that this rise in rates has had on the cost to finance the purchase of a home. If you use July July 2021, so going back a little over two years ago, the payment on a $500,000 house with a 20% down payment and a mortgage rate of around 3% uh, would have been about $1,700 a month, principal and interest. That same monthly payment for the same $500,000 house uh, with house prices up 20% over the last two years and mortgage rates now at around 7%, it's a $3,200 monthly payment. That's an increase of Oof. 87%. <laughs> Ouch. Yes. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a double whammy if you're trying to finance a home. So think about what the, what it's like right now to be a person. You know, you're in your late twenties or maybe early to mid thirties. You're, you're looking to buy a home. You probably don't have a ton of savings for a down payment. You might have a student loan that you have to start repaying pretty soon. Right. Your rent is high, and I know we'll talk about rents in a bit. You probably have a car payment. It and now just when you think home prices might finally be reversing, mortgage rates are through the roof, and there's still no inventory out there to buy. Deidre, so wow, tough going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and they and you know there was talk about like home prices are going to drop, and they did for like maybe a month or so, and a then little bit they, in certain markets, a little yeah. bit, 
but nothing like what some people were hoping for. And, you know, the, the reason for that, and this is a stat that is stuck in my head lately, is 91% of people with a mortgage have a mortgage that's under 5%. So nobody nobody wants to move. Everyone I talk to with a mortgage says they're not leaving. And it doesn't look like that's going to change. The mortgage rates aren't going to shift for, what, maybe a year, maybe two. So, you know, that's that's not... We can sort of count that out. So then I'm thinking about who who or what is going to pick up the slack. And, you know, I think a lot about home builders. They aren't quite building as much as we'd like to see, but the home builder stocks, it went from last year being not a great time to own home builder stocks to this year being a much better time. So what, what's happening here? Yes, the home builders are definitely filling uh, a vacuum. But before we, we talk of home builders, I just have to say that that stat that you brought up about 91% of people having a mortgage that's under 5%. I mean, it's it's such a, a paradox if you think about it because you know, we we have a situation where the Fed has has raised, you know, the the fund, Fed funds rate what it's a dozen times now over the past uh, 16 months. The whole idea was to try to slow the economy a little bit, slow down the pace of home prices and rents, but it's it's had the effect of of locking in people as you mentioned to their homes. So there's really no existing sales transactions or velocity in the market. And it, you can't blame people, right? If you have, if you're sitting on a 30-year mortgage, uh, you know, a fixed mortgage right now of say three percent, even if you wanted to move, even if you saw a house that you wanted out in the market that that fits your life better, it might be bigger or or, or in a different location. You're just you, you don't want to let go of that mortgage. I mean, and you, you can't blame people for that. It's 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 an amazing thing that's happened, and it's just perpetuated this this massive supply demand imbalance that we've been dealing with for. Like you, like you mentioned, over a decade or since the global financial crisis. So, but home builders are are filling the vacuum. So while there's no activity happening on the existing home sale side, they are coming in and and building new homes. And here's a situation where it is possible to sell homes because there can be you know different kinds of financing uh, via the home builders, or the, you know they're able to to discount certain parts of their inventory to to meet demand. So they're doing gangbusters right now. If you look at their margins, for example, the home builders are putting up the best gross margins, best net income margins they've ever done in their history. And for them, it's almost a perfect situation because they're really the only game in town. And so there's no activity on the existing home side. They can build houses, build a suit, and also build to rent, which I know we're going to talk about. So there's just a lot of avenues for them right now to to fill this 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 big hole in the market that's not being filled by the exi- existing home side. Yeah, so usually home builders new homes is about 10% of the total homes for sale. It's now around 30% depending on the market, which is just this like massive total, shift. We don't we, we don't changer. have that. Right. Yeah. Well, and I've been hearing from the from the home builders listening to some of the earnings calls, cancellation rates are going down and they're and the home builders are trying to be strategic here and trying to be a little cautious, but I was listening to the call for Toll Brothers recently and they sort of play at the higher end of the uh, new home market. And you know, one of the things the CEO talked about was wealth transfer. So, they're seeing first-time home buyers getting down payments from their parents. And so I'm thinking about these baby boomers, the ones who have that massive amount of equity in their homes. I wonder if they're not going to transfer the homes to the children because the children don't want the homes. They don't want the older homes and they don't want homes in certain areas. Will they sell those homes eventually to fund the down payment for, for the children? I'm, I'm wondering if we're going to see the wealth transfer turn into a location transfer. That is, uh, you know, it's before you had mentioned this uh, before the show. I, it's not something that I had, I had thought a lot about or seen, and but it, it just it it makes a ton of sense. 
I mean, we should do a whole show at some point on the just the overall massive amounts of wealth transfer that's that's happening now between baby boomers and Generation X and baby boomers and millennials or eventually Generation X to millennials. But there is just a massive amount of, of equity. And that's that's because who has the equity in this in this country of ours? And it is if you know, it's the it's the older professional established population those people that have those lucky 3% more you know mortgage rates and you know who have lots of savings and by the way this is a little bit a tangent but bear with me talk about wealth transfer think about what's happened with rates going up to you know the fed funds rate going up to 5.5% now people are earning you know a 5 they can they can invest in a 5% cd or get a 5% high yield savings account 5% money market account via their broker maybe who has that amount of money to take advantage of that? It's it's you know the people with savings, generally the older populations, right? And that itself is a massive wealth transfer. The first time in over a decade that people actually are earning interest on their savings, and people who have these savings um, are, are are doing really well. So again, all this wealth, you're right. All the wealth is sort of held up here on uh, in, in the boomer class or the, the older generations, and I, I I see a ton of opportunity for that. Um, equity be transferred down, not just from you know parents to children, but in a lot of cases grandparents to children or grandchildren, and you know that the equity's there. So why not uh, why not do that and enable your your son and daughter to to actually invest in a home when they otherwise probably couldn't. So if you're trying to decide between the various home builders, I know you and I are both fans of of NVR, but and you mentioned margins earlier. What else are you looking at, and are there any other home builders on your radar? Yeah, just one more thing on margins. I would say, you know, the, that's the one way I like to look at, at home builders is what kind of gross margins are they getting. Um, that that, that kind of clues you in as to how well they're managing their inventories over time, and then you can look at their net margins as well. Make sure those are consistent over time. And, and companies like NVR uh, or Toll Brothers have done a fantastic job. The, the cautionary tale there, though, is that their margins have never been better right now. And so there is a there is a time when those margins are going to come down, but what you want to look at is, you know, how stable can they be? You know, how how far will they fall and make you want to make sure those are staying high if you're, you know, if you're investing in home builders. I'd also just look at the total return track record for a lot of these companies. You know, home building is very much a capital allocation business. In other words, you know, deciding what land to buy or what land to option, when to build homes, when to then take cash flows and either buy more land or return value to shareholders, whether that's buybacks or dividends. Of course, you and I know NVR has done an incredible job of that. The track record for the for the shareholders has been just astounding. Uh, Toll Brothers is also uh, another one. KB Homes, I think, has a pretty good track record. And so, you know, stick to the ones that have delivered value to shareholders over time, and uh, you'll probably do well. Yeah, I think that the thing with margins is uh, that I also think about is you and I have talked before about the three L's, the the land, lumber, and labor, and right. the lumber part has been pretty good for a while, but I I don't expect that that's going to last. So no, I think that's I, a factor as well. Yeah, commodity costs are can can jump around, but you're right. But the labor one has been the sticky one, right? And it's not just the cost of labor, but it's the availability of labor that that has really been a, a, you know it, it hasn't affected the home builders so much in terms of. Their business, you know, right now, but uh, but boy, is it a bane in other parts of the economy. Well, let's switch to the other side of thinking about mortgages. And for people who, you know, not everybody can buy a home, not everybody wants to own a home. It's sort of interesting because the the homeownership rate has stayed pretty steady. It's been, you know, between like sixty and sixty five percent for you know for decades. But you know, I'm wondering is is renting going to shift? Is renting going to become more attractive over time? 
I I'd love to yeah I'd love what to know what you think about this as well. I think it almost has to first for for some of the reasons we've already talked about, which is you know home buying right now is is so so cost prohibitive, especially if you're in that late twenties, early to mid thirties. You know the, the the generally the first time people tend to buy a home at those ages. Uh, it's so it's so hard to do at the moment with the low inventory, high mortgage rates. And, but I also think there's just other things going on. I mean, especially since the pandemic, I think people are more mobile than ever. Remote work flexibility is enabling that to a certain extent. And I know we've seen companies try to claw that back a little bit, but I think the the die has been cast in a lot of ways with a lot of corporations and businesses where, you know, at the very least, employees have more flexibility today than they, they've ever had, especially white collar employees. And I, I also get the sense that with younger generations, there's less of a need to put down roots in you know in a, you know the town they grew up in or the city that they've they they've lived in in the past it's just i just think people are 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 chasing opportunities and, and more willing to to go different places not not having so much stuff maybe that's another you know topic which is um, i think people just desire less things which is also helps them keeps keeps them more mobile so for those reasons uh yeah i think renting i i feel like that proportion has to change. I feel like we might get to a situation. We won't go as far as Europe, where I know countries like Germany, you look at the home owning populations like 20% and the renting populations 80%. It's a total total flip of what we have in the United States. But I do think the trend towards renting will will, will go higher. What do you what do you think? May, you know, it's it's sort of a, a maybe for me. I think I think we're absolutely already seeing it more on on the coastal markets but i think in the in the middle of the country you still see more people that are you know buying at at what would be the sort of more traditional age so you know i mm -hmm. I, I think i think we're going to see really two trends kind of shaking out but the other part of this that you and i have been following too is the single family rentals because if you're in a single family rental you tend to stay in that rental so much longer than an apartment so for some people it's just you know they get into that house and and they just stay and i think that they don't necessarily think about the the monetary aspect as long as their rent remains relatively stable yes i mean i think i think the that the single family rental it's almost an it's almost a perfect environment <laughs> for 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 single family rentals because you mentioned the low turnover rate. Yeah, that's that's a that's a big part of it because once once a family moves, if you think about it, once a family moves into a house, say it's two parents and two kids, um, yeah, you're renting, but it's it's also you know it gets, it gets harder to move, especially if kids are going to school and you have you know it's a larger space, you have you have your furniture, you know, all those for all those reasons. But I I also think it's because of this lock-in effect that we've talked about. That's keeping so much of the existing home inventory out, uh, away from would-be home home buyers. That that's you know that's creating this this environment where people want a larger space. Again, especially since COVID, right? People want the they want the yard, they want the the separate home office, they you know they want the no shared walls or you know shared ceilings, and that so that makes you know that makes single-family homes much more appealing than say your average apartment, condo, or townhome. And, and at the same time, they don't want the, uh, they want the flexibility of an annual lease. Little, they, you don't, they don't want to worry about maintenance. They want a far more affordable monthly payment. So I just feel like it is, it's just this perfect, perfect backdrop for the single family rental industry. And um, here's a stat that's, just, that's always jumps out to me. If you look at data from uh, John Burns, the, the housing research firm, um, it's cheaper to rent 
one of Invitation's homes. So Invitation Homes is one of the larger single-family rental SFR REITs uh, out there. They own over 80,000. They own and operate over 80,000 homes. It's cheaper to rent one of Invitation's homes than buy a home in all 16 of the company's markets that they operate in by an average of $900 or 30% per month. So the average renter of an Invitation Home single-family rental is paying $900 less than it otherwise would they otherwise would buying a home in the, in those markets, and so that is a huge value proposition. I mean, that is um, you know it's over ten thousand dollars a year in savings by by renting instead of buying, and you know you're you don't have to deal with the same responsibilities you have as a homeowner, the taxes and maintenance and all those other things. Yeah, yeah, I think that, yeah that the the ease of ease of ease of uh, living is is definitely higher. Now you mentioned an invitation. There's a Tricon Residential. There's American Homes for Rent. That's those are all in the single family side, and you've got you know multifamily at like Mid America Apartments, uh, MAA, and Avalon Bay. Are you thinking about multifamily different from single family in terms of the investment potential? Right now, I am. I think the I think the the tailwinds are much more favorable for the SFR versus the traditional multifamily. But that isn't to say multifamily isn't experiencing is experiencing weakness. They're they're not. I mean it's just the I think the near term picture is a bit cloudier. There's a lot of supply coming into the market on the multifamily side. Uh, there was data from there was recent data from the St. Louis Fed, the the Fred database, which is really really has some great data on the housing market. So new apartment units that are currently under construction are at the highest level They've been going back to the early 70s, so gosh, uh, you know, 50 years, oh, more than 50 years, and so there's just a ton of supply of new apartments coming online over the next six to 18 months, especially in a lot of those hot markets. Think your Sun Belt, your, your Texas, your Florida, maybe uh, Arizona, and so I think that's going to put pressure on rents, and you're already seeing that even you know, Mid America and Avalon Bay, the two you mentioned, they're, they're still generating rent growth on new and renewal leases, but it's in the low single digits. Coming way off the the double digit growth that they were seeing uh, in 2021 and 2022, so it's it's flattening out. It's not a dire situation at all. And in fact, I think MAA in particular is um, looks really compelling from an investment standpoint right now. But I do think, as in the near term, you're going to do you might do better with the SFR side, looking at Invitation Homes or American Homes for Rent. I just think the momentum there is is so much stronger. The rent that those companies are putting up uh, are still in the high single digit. Uh, in terms of growth. What do you think about location? You and I have been following the Sunbelt trend for like, you know, like four or five years now. There is that little bit of overbuilding in, in Austin and in Dallas, uh, certainly on the multifamily side, uh, certainly on the, on the office side, but that's another story. Right. Is the Sunbelt thesis, is it, is it still strong? Is it maybe shifting a little bit? I think shifting might be right, the right verb to use. I mean, it, it, it was so strong. And it was it, it was it was always bound to, to face a slowdown, and now it's a situation where there has been you know some amount of overbuilding, like I mentioned, all the all the new supply that's coming uh, available now, and so I do think it's you know you're going to see rents probably flatten out, even decline a little bit. You might see uh, landlords have to you know put larger discounts or offer you know months of free rent. So. It's but but uh, gosh, in the long run, it's still the place you want to be. It's still where the population is trending, where you know the demographics are the strongest, where corporations are are tending to to move people and to set up shop. And so uh, I think it's still the place you want to invest. But I would say the 
sort of the traditional markets that we we kind of poo pooed <laughs> over the last five years as well. You know, your New Yorks, your San Franciscos, Chicago's, um, you know, Washington D.C. There ha- there wasn't just a ton of overbuilding and rents didn't really go uh, crazy. And yet now you're seeing, you know, New York City's having a nice bounce back. I know San Francisco still has some some challenges. Boston yeah. is is seeing a lot of strength. Philadelphia, and so. It never got too hot, and it's not going to. It's never got too cold in a lot of those markets, and so those are areas too where I think multifamily is going to is going to hold up pretty well. It's just not going to be as volatile as as it is in the Sun Belt. But I think you know, yeah, long run, Sun Belt part of the country is, is where you want to be. Well, we're talking about the single family rentals, but I want to talk a little bit. You mentioned earlier build to rent because that's the idea of building you know, at times whole communities of single family and townhome for rent rather than sale. It's this, it's, it's sort of hard to figure out because it's this kind of like emerging, emerging class within, within housing. And, you know, it sort of started during the pandemic when the home builders couldn't sell and then they were sort of, they sold uh, whole communities off. Now it's becoming more purpose-built. And you mentioned zoning earlier. I'm seeing already some moratoriums on build to rent, some, you know, towns are starting to notice this because it's sort of, for, for a town, it's sort of one thing to have a community come in and, you know, there's the concerns about that. But when it's a rental community, it seems like there's an additional mm-hmm. concern, which I feel like is a, I feel like it's a stigma against renters, which, which I don't, I don't like, but how can, how can investors think about built rent? I don't, I haven't seen like a pure play. I know some of the home builders are doing it. What do you think about built rent as it, as it starts to grow? Right. It, it, it's again, we've talked about so many trends that are, that feel so undeniable on this show. And I think build to rent is another one where it was always done on a very small scale, but here we are that it's, 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 it's sort of at a point now where you, like you mentioned, there's just, there's these whole communities now that are being built that are purely designed for, for rent or, you know, the rental market. And it, it's creating some obvious concerns from, from communities, you know, where maybe there's a proponents of homeowners and all of a sudden now you're, you're introducing a, um, you know, another subset of the population that, you know, is there for different, maybe there for different economic reasons. But I think it's, yeah, it's an undeniable trend. And I think there aren't any pure ways to play it, but I, I you know, there are, I mean, one way is the, the SFRs, the invitation homes of the world, because they are sort of, in a way, the customer for a lot of this, right. you know, the build to rent. And so they're making big moves. And Invitation Homes just recently in July bought a huge 1900 home portfolio. I think a lot of it came from a, one of their built to you know, rent partners. And, um, and you're, you're seeing that, that happen. And that's just a way for them to really goose their inventory in, in, in one big slug. You know, I want to say that Blackstone and Starwood are, are still involved in this quite a bit. Um, even a smaller company like Boston Omaha, which I think a lot of listeners might be familiar with, they've got kind of their own built-to-rent vehicle um, as well. So there are some ways to play it right now, not a really a direct way, but you can get a little bit of it indirectly through the home builders and the single-family rental REITs. Well, to wrap up, so we've talked about the, the current situation with inventory. We've talked about rentals and, and what we're seeing there. Is anything going to make this shift over time other than we know rates will go down, maybe inventory will loosen up, but is there anything, if I'm investing in home builders, which I am, and I'm investing in uh, REITs, which I am, is there anything I should be looking for? Well, I, this is going to be too simplistic, but I do think a change in the rate picture, you know, the interest rate picture is, is, is going to be, would be the most meaningful, would have the most meaningful impact. In other words, 
when the Fed stops raising the rates or when the Fed starts cutting rates. I mean, that, that's something that a lot of analysts are looking at maybe towards the second half of 2024. I think if you're a REIT investor, a home builder investor, that's going to be a pretty big catalyst. Because especially on the REIT side, REIT valuations are have just really been beaten down. A lot of it is because they're they're locked into a situation where they have debt maturing, you know, over the next few years. Um, and you know, especially on the office side, which we don't need to get into, but you know, it's it's a really mismatch between liabilities and leases right now. But but overall, that that the whole housing picture, real estate picture, is going to change dramatically. I think on on rates because right now there's this feeling like. Well, the Fed's maybe stopped, but you know, could go one more, and maybe we're at this new, you know, maybe five and a half or six percent range on the Fed funds rate. That's gonna, you know, that's gonna cause yields to go up probably again. But at some point, it'll it'll flatten out, and then we get to a situation where if rates start coming down next year because inflation is tame, and maybe we get a little bit of a slowdown in the economy, that would be a little bit of a game changer on the REIT side uh, and the housing side. I, I think that could affect. You know, at least especially on these ex- existing home side, which we talked a lot about, that could help loosen that up a little bit finally. But uh, we'll have to see. It's it's not something that's going to happen over the next six months. It might be more of a second half 2024 uh, scenario. Well, we'll have to have another conversation then. Thanks as always for breaking this down with me. Absolutely, Deidre. Thanks so much for having me. As always, people on the program may have interests in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. I'm Deidre Woolard. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.